is New Albion calling. New Albion calling. Good evening. My name is Theodore Pilkington Rhubarb, and you are listening to the ARC Light Program. Coming up later is our soporifically superlative series, Slumber Time Stories. But first, it's time for... Can you guess what it is that I'm describing? A new feature in which a listener will get the chance to win up to three shillings by attempting to guess what I'm describing. There will be three clues to assist them. If they get it at the first try, they will win three shillings. If they need a second clue, they will win one shilling and thruppence, etc., etc. Well now, once again we have prearranged the listener this week, as the powers that be have determined this segment must be a success come what may. I'm in the dark as always, which is perhaps preferable. So here goes something somewhat less than nothing. Operator! Please connect me to Cheem 11. Yes, that's Cheem 11. Yeah, well, good. It's ringing. It's ringing. It's still, still ringing. Still ringing. No, yeah, it's it's ringing a long time. Is is this the right number, Mabel? Ahoy, ahoy. This is Cheem Eleven, Lord Hercules of Cheem speaking, since it's the butler's night off. What do you want? No, oh, oh, my goodness. Is that you, Lord Cheem? Oh, your, oh, your royal, royal highness. Uh, my dear thing, uh, I'm just common or garden gentry, you know. Uh, my gracious lord will be fine. Oh, yes, sire. I mean, yes, my gracious lord. Oh, your, your, your holy worshipfulness. Can I just say what a complete and utter pleasure it is to be talking to someone so esteemed in New Albion society. Oh, so much nicer than the usual riffraff we have around here oh, and... Oh, stop wittering on. Who are you and what do you want? Who is it, dear? I'm just trying to establish that. Well, let me know if you want me to tell him to laugh off. Oh, my dear lord and lady, it's Mr. Pilkington Rhubarb uh, from the Albion Radiophonic Corporation. Am I to take it you have agreed to take part in our somewhat lowbrow listener's quiz? Can you guess what it is that I'm describing? Oh, it's, it's Pillock Rhubarb from that radio nonsense. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, yes. Uh, the young lady who called earlier uh, said that you would pay us three shillings. Uh, so here we are. Uh, darling, get the piece of paper where I wrote down the answer. Yes, it's here somewhere. Oh, I'll, I'll pretend I didn't hear that. Uh, very well. Yes, you can win three shillings if you guess correctly with this very clue. If you are ready. The royals, it said... Wear this on their head. Ah, found it. I can't quite see what I wrote. Oh, oh, ah, yes. It's a tree. What? 
No, 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 it's, it's not a tree, your references. That, that, that was last week's answer. Oh dear, I, I, th- I think there's been a terrible mix-up, your honours. Oh, perhaps perhaps this, the second clue will assist. Uh, we normally only give out one shilling threepence at this stage, but, uh, but I'm sure in your case we can make an exception. <sighs> it isn't too bold to say I'm usually made of gold. What's the problem? Is he sending the three shillings or not? I'm not sure. I, I think he may be very dense. Uh, why, why don't you try? Is it a tree? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, dear, your fabled eminences. Oh, I'm so sorry. There's been a terrible problem with the staff here. Oh, I will have words, believe me. You're right. He seems very dense, possibly foreign. Tree! Tree! Oh, oh for eightpence halfpenny, here is the final clue. When you wear me, do not feel down. Even though my name doth rhyme with frown. Tree! 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 Uh, perhaps together. Uh, tree! tree! Oh, oh dearie, oh dearie me no. Oh, I'm so sorrow, your noble deities. Tree! 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 Oh, it's no use. I think he's deaf as well as stupid. Uh, what is it then, Rhubarb Pillock, if it's not a tree? It, it, it's a crown! Oh, nonsense. No, no, no. It sound, sounded more like a tree to me. Um, uh, well, I was promised three shillings. Uh, so why don't we call it around ten? Uh, I'm sure you know where to send it. Uh, of course, of course. Uh, uh, again, uh, can I just say how sorry I am? Oh, Mother would like a new hat. Uh, of course, your supreme honourablenesses is... Well, that was all very satisfactory. Uh, yes, uh, right, I'm off to my club... Mabel, I cannot begin to tell you how upset this has all made me. If you've jeopardised my knighthood because of this... What do you mean hell is more likely to freeze over? And now on the light programme, it's time for Slumber Time Stories. And this week, it's part two of the right riveting romp, Monkey Teaspoon Design Agency. ARC presents Part 2 of Monkey Teaspoon Design Agency by Darren Callum. As announced, it did indeed appear to be a section of track with meeting rooms along one side. At each room there was a set of points and a pair of smartly dressed, if somewhat disinterested, chimps waiting to work the points and plug the telecommunication cables into the appropriate mechanisms. The rooms themselves had in and out doors and big clocks over these to show the meeting start and end times. The corridor was very straight and clearly ran the whole length of the building, and apart from a few desks at the very far end of the track, she seemed to be completely alone. 
Taking slow, deep breaths to calm herself, she had half a thought to perhaps do some work, but when she absent-mindedly opened the drawer, she was confronted again by the foreboding folder, and all the panic started to rush back. She slammed the drawer shut, and decided to think for much longer before making any further decisions. She flicked absent-mindedly through the Rolodex, wondering if perhaps she should call someone. Lost property, perhaps. But maybe the best thing was simply to ride out the day, replace the drawers and get the right ones tomorrow, and hopefully no harm done. Just as she thought she could breathe a little easier, she heard a slight commotion at the far end of the corridor. Looking up, she saw one of the two mysterious men in dark coats talking loudly to people sitting on the moving desks. Fingers were pointed tetchily and desk drawers were being rifled, despite protests from the designers. Oh, oh, crikey, yelped Rusty. The, the, the thugs from earlier, oh, with the Oriental girl. They must be after the top secret plans. It could be said that Rusty's thinking processes were now not in the best place, and quick as you like, she put two and two together and came up with, well, at least six. In no time at all, she managed to convince herself that these people must be foreign agents, and it was now solely down to her to keep the top-secret documents out of their hands. In a near-blind panic, she looked down the track to see if there was a way to escape, and sure enough, a meeting-room junction was approaching that might do the trick. It was attended by a pair of laconic-looking chimps, one of whom was dragging heavily on a pipe and watching the meeting-end clock with a modicum of attentiveness. The other seemed fast asleep. Quick as she could, without drawing undue attention to herself, she clicked the little flag into what she believed was a left-turn position, and simultaneously waved to catch the more awake of the two apes' attention. Hist! She hissed. I'm going in! The eyes nearly popped out of the primate's head as he saw this sudden change of signalling. He pointed with alarm at the meeting-end clock, which was showing, very clearly to him at least, five minutes only left on the meeting. I, I know, I know, I'm late, but I'm going in! She'd intended to add, whether you like it or not, but thought better of it as she'd already upset one primate today, and this one didn't seem too thrilled by her either. The ape appeared ready to protest again, but realising it was probably more than his job was worth, he shook his friend rudely awake and swung into action. In a flurry of hairy arms and legs, the little ape managed to haul on the point's lever, and the desk began to turn slowly towards the opening, heavy wooden door. The other chimp, rather less than best pleased at having been so rudely awoken, grabbed at her wiring cables and hauled them out just in time as she rattled into the ornate meeting room, but alas wasn't quite quick enough to plug them into the room's cabling system before the door began to swing shut. The area she found herself in was clearly a boardroom of some description, complete with cut glass chandelier and horror of horrors 
its own diminutive beverage dispenser. It seemed apparent that some sort of high-level meeting was just concluding, and the chairwoman, in an expensive twin set and two loops of pearls, was shuffling her papers. Without looking up, she announced, Well, that's lunch, I think. With this, the exit door swung open, and the six, rather more posh than usual, desks and occupants began to chug out of the room. They all stared in bemusement at the dishevelled junior draughtsperson clanking in through the entry door. Oh, I say, we all spit on the late side, added the unsmiling chairwoman. Rusty could only force a meek smile, half a shrug, and a sighed, oh, story of my day. The desks were now departing one by one as hers clanked and wheezed its way onto the meeting room loop. The mechanisms by the door detected the new arrival by a series of ratchets and began to spin the clocks around to new begin and end times. The last of the desks was on the threshold now and a smart young man offered a short wave at the beleaguered girl. He glanced at his pocket watch. Uh, you do realise this is a two-hour meeting room? He asked kindly. Rusty just gulped. As his desk departed through the hinged doors and Rusty settled into its slow loop of the room, he added, oh, You should just make lunch, though, with a glimmer of optimism in his voice. With this, the doors wheezed shut on piston-powered hinges, and with a clang, she was alone with the clanking rails, the baleful ticking clockworks, one top-secret folder, and her madly racing mind. Two solitary hours later, after twelve circuits of the room and twelve failed attempts to get a satisfactory cup of Darjeeling, or, quite frankly, anything, from the beverage dispensomatic. The exit door creaked open and her desk finally clanked across the points into the exit channel. Two extremely annoyed-looking primates awaited her on the threshold, clearly not at all happy at having been required to wait for her. The most perfunctory of exit procedures was performed and no cheeky banter of any description was exchanged. Their jobs performed with the least ceremony possible they both disappeared sharpish through a small utility door to some presumably long overdue tea break. Talking of tea, and indeed breaks, Rusty's tumble gurgled emptily as the distinctive aromas of an eating facility began to waft down the corridor. Her desk clanged its way towards an open area and a clearly marked dismounting ramp Peering out from the doorway were two anxious-looking visages, which Rusty was overcome with relief to realise were Nancy and Toad. Glancing at their pocket watches and for their missing teammate with equal concern. She almost cried with joy and gave a little wave, which they returned in spades, clearly very happy that she'd finally turned up whilst there was still time for lunch. At this point, after the canteen dismounting ramp, 
the empty desks then reached a lift-type apparatus that appeared to slowly convey them up through a hole in the ceiling to the second story. The idea being that whilst one took luncheon, one's desk moved upstairs to await the afternoon loop of the second floor. A dilemma presented itself to Rusty. Should she entrust the secret documents to whatever awaited on the floor above, or keep them with her? In the end, encouraged by much collegial waving to chivy it up a bit, she decided to grab the top-secret folder and stuff it in her waistcoat. Her colleagues looked at her bemused, but put it down to her being very conscientious about her work. In any case, there was no time to query her actions, as there was barely enough minutes to get lunch before they were due to remount their desks. Toad offered her a welcoming hug and led the way to the seating area. Nancy, who was not really the touchy-feely sort, shuffled on behind them. Gangling gadzoomers! We thought you'd been kidnapped or something! chortled Toad. Oh, or something is probably right, mumbled Rusty, glancing nervously this way and that for enemy spies and potential fifth columnists. The canteen is over two floors, added Nancy somewhat less emotively. The starters and maids on this level, and desserts upstairs. Oh, golly, <laughs> nothing is simple in this place, swallowed Rusty, not sure she was taking it all in. At least the food selection procedure here was slightly less over-engineered than the drinks dispensers. They took adjoining seats at a fairly empty long table and selected starters from a simple conveyor belt of dishes, now somewhat depleted in the centre. Eh, not a lot left this time of day, lamented Nancy, and indeed pickings were very slim, with only prawnacino or Mrs. Bubonic's offal faggots, indicated by little labels on sticks, seemingly available. Not feeling particularly like eating, but realising she might need all her strength later, Rusty plumped for the caffeinated seafood combo as the slightly lesser of two evils, and forced a cold spoonful into her mouth. Uh, for the main course, you need to look at the chalkboard and then press and then number of your choice, explained Nancy. Oh, oh, right, mumbled Rusty between mouthfuls, and attempted to decipher the cryptic main course descriptions set alongside five number codes. A handy numbered cash register type keyboard thingy was provided at each eating station for entering your choice, and being devoid of any gumption today, Rusty typed in numbers randomly until a little green ticket popped up in the selection window to indicate a choice had been accepted. She could only pray it wasn't something too awful. Although, with her luck today, it was probably cabbage and prune omelette. Glancing up from her prawn dish, Rusty was alarmed to see the oriental-looking woman enter the dining room via a side door. Trying her best to duck down behind the food carousel and disappear into the laminated tabletop and ignoring the askance looks of her companions, she glanced back to see that one of the dark-clad heavies was now blocking the entrance she had used. 
Are you quite all right? asked Nancy, with a hint of annoyance entering her voice. I'm, I'm, yes, well, that the fine, oh, you know, um, (laughs) began Rusty, who was now looking around for any other ways out of the dining room. The only obvious exit seemed to be the spiral staircase in the middle of the room, with a preposterously overlit sign flashing the single word, Desserts, and a big arrow pointing upwards. Not, not sure I'm in a very, um, uh, this savoury mood. Uh, might, um, head, uh, dessertwoods-ish. Gibbered Rusty, and gripping her chest to make sure she didn't lose the top-secret documents, she got down on all fours and began to crawl under the table towards the staircase. Uh, but you've not even finished your prawns, protested Toad, who hated to see food go to waste. Uh, uh, help yourself, muttered Rusty over her shoulder, but he'd already tucked in anyway. Halfway to the staircase, there was a sudden shout, and the ugly from the doorway called out, Hey, you! On the floor! Wait a minute! We need to ask you some questions! At this point, Rusty realised she couldn't really crawl all that fast, so she made a lunge for the staircase and began to clank her way frantically up the metal stairs, There were more cries from behind and the sound of footsteps running after her, but she didn't wait to find out what their line of questioning might be. With all possible haste, she emerged into the dessert room, which had similar arrangements of eating areas and carousels chugging round with a selection of hot and cold puddings. "'Oh, my golly, Gadzooks!' muttered Rusty to herself, her head spinning a little as she looked around for a way out. She could already hear boots on the stairs, so there was no time to lose, and spotting the desk remounting platform made a beeline straight for it. Then, without warning, the other dark-suited man suddenly sprung up from where he'd been seated, nibbling a cheeky chocolate meringue, and went to grab her. Oh, no, you don't, he yelled. But before he could get hold of her, Rusty grabbed the first pudding dish she could reach and flung it at him. The man raised his arms to defend himself, but too slowly, so he caught what turned out to be a steaming hot spotted dick full in the face. There were screams and shouts from the other diners, but Rusty was on a mission now, and reaching the line of desks, jumped up onto the conveyor belt between the rails, waving her arms madly to prevent her toppling over as the belt was gaily chugging away. She began to run with it along the corridor. Behind her, the first of the heavies and the oriental lady, who seemed much nimbler on her pins, appeared and, hesitantly at first, began to run down the track after her. Oh, crikey! What what, what are you doing, Inglemop? ranted Rusty to herself. But there was no going back now. She'd have to find the way out and then alert the first constable she came across. No other course of action seemed tenable. Driven on by adrenaline, if little else, she was making such good progress along the track and around the first corner that she'd caught up with a group of four desks and had to start forcing her way past the understandably indignant designers at their work. A few naysays and what do you think you are up to's were proffered, but no one tried to impede her. There couldn't be much longer until the exit she began to think, uh, perhaps around the next corner... However, 
As she turned the bend and looked down a fairly longish run of track, she realised that at the far end was the other thug. He was bent over and clearly struggling for breath, having run the whole length of the floor below to try and cut her off. She turned to go back, but hearing the other potential assailants approaching, she realised she was trapped. This was a straight run of track and not a meeting room section, so she couldn't repeat her disappearing act from the floor below. Frantically, she looked in all directions as the man at the far end spotted her, and despite his exhaustion, and face full of steamed pudding, began to clop towards her. Fortunately, he made very little progress as he was running against the flow of the track, but Rusty was having to tread water now just to stay on the same spot, and the two behind her were approaching very rapidly. Oh, what to do? There appeared to be only one option. Just below where she was standing was a little door, barely a foot high. It might not even be big enough for her to get through, but the men would definitely struggle to follow her. Without hesitation, and thinking only of king and country, Rusty girded her loins and made a mad dive for it. The door was not locked, and opened inwards on a simple sprung hinge. She lunged through it and began to crawl frantically down a short corridor towards the sounds of chatter ahead. Hopefully these were amenable folk who might aid her escape by showing her the quickest route out of here. She could only hope. Hearing the door behind her being rattled, and yet more shouts, she scrambled manically into the room and found herself confronted by quite a scene. The room was a staff room of some description, and sitting in it, enjoying a brew and a puff on a pipe or two, were a whole room of chimpanzees. Oh, crap, moaned Rusty, as it soon became obvious that they all knew her to be the speciesist, time-a-wasting, chimp-botherer that they had all just been bad-mouthing prior to her undignified entry. The plethora of dirty looks that were aimed in her direction cannot be adequately described by mere words alone, so I won't bother. Indeed, so bad was the level of passive-aggressive enmity aimed at her that it was almost a relief when the oriental-looking woman poked her head through the door behind her and offered a chirpy, "'What-o? Uh, any chance of you holding still a while so I can arrest you?' At this request, the chimps burst into spontaneous applause. Rusty was duly arrested and bundled, mostly for her own safety, out of the chimp staff room and post-haste into the head of security's office. There the oriental-looking woman revealed herself to be a king's agent by the name of Lily Fortitude. Her identity being duly corroborated by the head of security himself, Rusty burst into tears of relief and blubbed the whole sorry story of how she'd come to be cornered in a tea room full of disgruntled primates. In the end, it was deemed that no real harm had been done. Fortitude and her two sidekicks took possession of the secret documents and, no further charges being deemed necessary, Rusty was let off with a stern reproach not to do such things again, as she wouldn't. And an admonishment of, Did you know there's a war on? She didn't. And released, still highly emotional, into the arms of her co-workers. They in turn put her directly onto an Omnitram home, 
with barely another word. Oh, rats, sighed Rusty to herself as the tram clanked and rattled her homewards. I, I totally forgot to clock out. And so it came to pass that Rusty Inglemop became the shortest, or if you prefer, the longest, since technically she never did end her shift, employee of the Monkey Teaspoon Design Agency. Rather than return the next day, she decided instead not to see out her trial period and found a much less stressful job with a smaller company that had decidedly simpler arrangements for making hot drinks. Oh, and on the weekend, to make some small amends, she volunteered at a home for orphaned chimpanzees. Well, that was quite an adventure, wasn't it? Who saw that ending coming? Well, certainly not Rusty, that's for sure. Join us again next week for more japes from Tales of New Albion. However, for now, this is Theodore Pilkington Rhubarb signing off. Good night, New Albion. I wish you dreams of a bright future. stories, voices and characters, created by and copyright to Darren Callow. With the exception of Lord Hercules and Lady Boudicca of Cheen, who were voiced by Ben and Tixia Henderson. For more information about Ben and Tixia, visit moth.me. All music by Charlotte Savicar. Tales of New Albion is available to buy from Amazon online stores or via Bandcamp, where the album is also available. For more information, go to www.talesofnewalbion.com or search for Tales of New Albion on Facebook. Tales of New Albion is a Monkey Teaspoon production of Albion Radiophonic.